There's a cute coffee shop that you should go to if you're ever near Sanford, Florida. It's called Palette Coffee Roasters, and it's doing so much more than serving great espressos and lattes. The owners are on a mission, literally saving children's lives by snatching them out of the evil hands of sex traffickers. Carl and Tina Kadoff are not only using their profits to fund exploits, they're traveling to dark places themselves where most people won't go, all to help captives that are in real danger. Carl and Tina's lives are great examples of what can be done when entrepreneurs use their businesses and talents to serve Jesus. Ready to shift your paradigm on the possibilities of entrepreneurship and ministry? Good. Let's go. Hey, welcome to Chasing the Kingdom, where our goal is to provide hope and wisdom for spirit-led entrepreneurs. I'm John Balawa, and I believe God wants to use entrepreneurs to make the world better. Romans 8.19 says that the world is decaying and groaning for the revealing of God's sons and daughters. And that means the world needs you. And there are problems that can't be solved until you step into your God-given identity. If you want to stir up those gifts, then you're in the right place. Let's get hyped up for today's show. Today's guest on Chasing the Kingdom is Carl Kadoff. Uh, he is the owner of Palette Coffee, and I met him through a mutual friend. Uh, I originally became very interested in what he was doing because of uh, he was using coffee, which I love, <laughs> to basically bring women and children out of human trafficking. And... I wanted to ask you, Carl, how did you get into that? Like, why why did you make this your cause? Um, well, there's there's a couple of reasons. One, one is my wife is a survivor of human trafficking. She was trafficked from the time she was four until she was 15 by her mother. And um, and so it it we've been married, it'll be 40 years in January. And in that 40 years, there's been, um, you know, there's been a lot of uh, territory that we've had to cover that normal couples don't have to cover, um, partially because of the trauma that she that she went through when she was a child. She's been diagnosed with post-traumatic stress. She's, I mean, there's just a lot that uh, that that she her her own mind kept um, away from her until she got about ten or twelve years ago. She started getting just bits and pieces of her past, and before that, her her mind just kind of blocked it all. And um, so, anyway, with all of that being said, we came to the conclusion that no child should have to go through what she's had to to, to beat in her life. And um, and so that that gave us a, a real purpose as far as as far as wanting to do it. Um, and so so that's that's one thing. The other part of that is we were we knew we had to do something and and we also feel like this is a great opportunity to witness people witness to people when they are um you know a lot of them are at the lowest stage of their life that they can ever be and most of them have give, have, have given up on any hope of any future most of them just like my wife she my wife didn't think she would ever live to be an adult 
Um, he thought that she would die first. And most of them, most of them get to that point. And so, um, you know, we want to encourage them through Jesus and we want to, we want to help them in any way we can. And, and so we were looking at a way to support a ministry without having to be out spending all of our time begging people for money all the time, which money's great and we all need money. Um, but we thought if we could come up with some sort of a business that, um, that would allow us to, to donate, uh, you know, a big portion of our profits to, um, to, an, to our organization, then that would give us the capital that we need to do the things that we want to do. And it's proven to be, you know, to work out We're well, we will have been open nine years in September next month. And, uh, Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. And, um, and it's, it's worked out very well. We've, we've been able to every month we, we give a portion of it to love missions or other organizations that are fighting trafficking. Um, and, and just, you know, it's a, it's a great way to do it. I used as an example, when we were first thinking about this, that there's an organization, that's a mission organization that they're great. I won't say their name, but they're a great organization and they do a lot of work in Papua New Guinea and, and other areas, but all of their, um, all of their uh, missionaries are self-supporting. And so before they can go out in the field, they have to, they have to spend about two years usually just getting enough funding. If once they get 80% of what they're going to need annually, at that point, um, they'll let them go out into the field, but they still want them to work on getting more, more funding. And, and so they get out, of, out in the field with their 80% or more and and they'll work for six months in in this area in Papua New Guinea or somewhere. Um, after six months, they've got to come back because all the people that are supporting them, if if they don't keep in touch with them, they'll start falling. Uh, they'll start losing some of the funding that they had. So they have to come back, and then for another six months, they make trips and do presentations at all the different places that are helping support them, and and that allows them the recoup their funding or get their funding back going again and continue. And then they go back into the mission field and they work another six months. So essentially they never have a break. They never have a time that they can say is our vacation. Um, they do come back to the States, but it's all work and no play. And, and quite honestly, a big portion of them end up leaving the ministry just because they're burned out. And so what we wanted to do is come up with a way that we wouldn't have to, to, be doing all of that all the time, but could could have at least a certain amount of a budget that we would be able to know is coming in no matter what. And and then, you know, anything above that allows us to do more things. And so uh, so that's that's kind of the in a nutshell what why we did what we did. I um are you and your wife going to uh the other countries uh, and for missions or is it are you supporting other missionaries who are going out there and doing the work? No, we're actually we're 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 on the ground there. Um, we actually in in Guyana, uh, South America, we have a safe house. We have another safe house actually here in the U.S. in um, Wisconsin. Um, we just are opening that one, and they're and they're different. The one in Guyana is is for children right now. I think we have I think we have eight children in there, which five of them are all from one one family that. Um, we rescued the children. At the time we rescued them, the father had them out in the front yard, had poured gas on them and getting ready to light them on fire. 
and we took them out of that situation. Usually when we take somebody into our safe house, we look at it as a temporary, get them safe, and then we figure out, you know, what their best step is after that. Um, you know, ideally, we want to get them back with a family member. But in a case like this, we'll, we'll I mean, unless something happens or changes, we'll probably keep those five until they age out at, at 18 or if they want to go to college. So they can stay with us until they complete uh, college. But um we don't we don't have any desire to get them back with their with their father <laughs> for sure so right. um so anyway we um yeah we we have those two operations and then here in Sanford we also we have a, a mentoring center that we use on a regular basis to uh, uh, mentor people that have come out of out of a trafficking situation whether it's a child or an adult and we have about 10 different volunteers that are professionals um that are that are helping in different ways whether it's a psychologist or a um regular counselor or somebody that is uh very um very good at financial planning or those types of things so did, did I, and they're and they're local to your safe house right oh that? did i uh, yeah, and they're local they're local to where your safe house is at those professionals no uh they're local here in Sanford, in the Sanford area, and so where we do most of the mentoring. Um, we do we do use them, we utilize them for um, counseling and and whatnot with our children in Guyana as well. But they none of them have ever made the trip. It's all on a Zoom call or or that type of thing. And it's really it's it's a uh, it's try to stay on top of their mental health and their physical health that type of. Thing. I remember when I first met you, you told me a story. I think it was in Guyana where you took a helicopter ride and you saw the tents. Like you saw, uh, I think you told me that you saw three tents. You were flying over it and you saw the children circling one of the tents. Yes, yes, yes. No, that was, we were coming out of another area. And when we came out, we had engine trouble with our with our plane. So we landed in the gold lining area of, of Guyana and... Um, when when we landed there, um, you know, we had nothing but time because we had a team with us, and um, so the pilot was just kind of showing us around. and And this this area, um, it it was as I would picture the gold rush times in the U.S. I mean, it was just very very rugged, and there was a boardwalk and muddy streets and horses and mules and and I mean, just exactly as you would visualize it. Um, and then there was three huge tents about the size of circus tents. I mean, they were big. And uh, the pilot was just walking us down the street. And he motioned to the tents and he said, these these three tents, this is kind of our entertainment district. And he said, the first tent is the saloon. And, uh, you know, so it was just a big bar. And he said the tent next to that was their dance hall, where which is was kind of strange to me because you didn't really see any women there. It was all men. And so I don't know what, you know, I guess they danced together. I don't know. But, um, but then he pointed at the third one. And as he pointed at the third one, we, we couldn't help but notice there was a line of about 12 or 15 kids that were no taller than four foot would be probably the tallest of that. And so they were young children. And there was a lady that was walking them into the third tent. And the pilot said, and this is the whorehouse. 
And um, that was actually a turning point for my wife and I. And it, you know, I don't feel like it was, it was just a chance that we ended up there. I think it was God that that led us there to see what was going on. And um, and so we actually the whole flight out of there, and then the flight from Guyana back home. My wife and I just spent that time as a planning session, as far as what are we going to do, how are we going to do this, and you know how are we going to. How are we going to? How are we going to fight human trafficking? Essentially, and um, but we were kind of naive because we really thought that what we were going to do is do some different things to raise funds and then give that money to other organizations so they're fighting trafficking, and um, and then one thing after another happened um, that just led us to believe God was calling us to do it, and so uh, so that's kind of when when we took off with it. So. Is, is it really? So it's out there in the open over there. It's out in the open here. Oh, the open everywhere. I mean, we the problem is, is it's something that we don't want to see, so we don't look. And that's part of the problem that we have with presentations that we do is, you know, we can, we can be in a church of 500 people and talking about this and, and, um, you see about half or more than half of the people won't even make eye contact with you. They just look down at the ground. And because, you know, if, if they could, they'd close their ears because it's all not, it's not happy stuff. And and yet, you know, if, if somebody went to that same church and had the same amount of time and had pictures of cute little puppies that they want to adopt out, the people would be all over them and throwing money at them and doing whatever they had to do. And it's just strange because we desensitize ourselves against children being hurt and um and it's happening every day in every community in every state in every country um it's it truly is an epidemic um there's so much money involved that uh it just makes no sense really for a drug dealer to deal drugs anymore if they can if they can traffic and so yeah it's a it's a battle i i went to this meeting um a few years ago, I had no idea who was speaking. I just got invited by somebody, and it turned out to be um, uh, a woman who was helping women, uh, other girls get out of human trafficking. And she was just telling us how, even here in Orlando, Florida, how bad it is, you know. And she actually spent time with people who were like recruiters. Oh yeah, and yep. it. It, when you mentioned people are looking down, um, it reminded me of that meeting because you know, we, we got to ask her questions and 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 we we asked her, how are they recruiting? And she said, like, one of the things that these guys, I guess these good looking guys will be the recruiters and they'll go to a public place. And uh, and she said she asked, like, how do you know who not to go after? And, and the recruiter said, if they make eye contact with me, like if I say something nice to them and they make eye contact with me, I know that they have a good self-esteem. And so I know there's no chance. He, he, they go specifically for uh, girls who are insecure and don't have a good self-esteem to draw them in. Absolutely. Yeah. And, 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 and if you think about that, that's the majority of our teenage girls in the U.S. I mean, everybody wants to be different and very few have great self-esteem. And and also the way our, our culture is, 
um, most of our most of our young people have a warped sense of what love really is, and so um, and so it's very easy for a young guy that good-looking guy that um, you know to lure somebody in to start grooming them, um, thinking that their boyfriend and girlfriend when he may be he may be working three to five girls all at the same time. He's got nothing but time. If it takes him a year to do it, he'll do it. But during that time, and we call this um, held in plain sight, um, because during this time, the girls will, they go home every night. They, you know, right now they're in love with them. And then, you know, this all may just be online. They may have never really seen them face to face, but regardless, they think they're in love. And then um, during that grooming time, the, the trafficker will get as much information on this girl as he possibly can, whether it's, um, you know, whether it's other siblings, their ages, their names, where they hang out, where they go to school, all of that. Um, or it could be the gate code to get into the, into the community that they live in, or it could be, could be the, you know, the code on the, on the front door, or, you know, whatever, all of that information, she thinks their boyfriend or girlfriend. So she, gladly gives him all this information. Finally, after a period of time when he thinks that she's ready, um, he says, you got to do me a favor. I'm in a, I'm in a real, you know, bad situation here. And I've got this guy lined up. And so she thinks she's doing it for her boyfriend. And she, you know, she's like, I'll do it this one time. And once he's convinced her to do it this one time, that point, he's pretty much got her. And, and he'll use that you know, they'll take pictures and videos while it's happening. They'll use that. They'll say, I'm going to take this to your pastor. I'm going to take this to your teacher. It'll be all over Instagram, you know, whatever the case may be. She's scared to death. She can't tell her parents. She can't tell anybody. And all of a sudden, she's just hooked, and there's nothing nothing really that she can do. And um, and so he'll allow her to continue living in her own home. She goes home every night. She eats with her parents. She, But she has to carry a burner phone. And when that phone goes off, he usually has 30 minutes to respond to whatever address he's sending her to at that particular time. So she sneaks out of the house and goes and takes care of what she has to take care of and then slides back into the house. Parents never know the difference. Um, as soon as, you know, at some point, they usually say, you know what, enough is enough. I'm not going to do this anymore. And the trafficker says, okay, you're your little sister Susie. Um, she's next. She, I'll, I'll have her in 30 minutes. And, and again, he knows, he knows the gate code. He knows the passcode for the house. He knows everything about everybody. And so they, it's just, uh, it's the most purest form of manipulation you've ever seen. Um, but it works and it's very simple and it's very easy. The main thing is they just have to maintain patience. And, and again, like you said, they have to find the ones that won't make eye contact. They have to find the ones that, you know, a lot of some some of the targets will be people that, um, you know, they'll they'll sit by a bus people and watch maybe a runaway get off a bus or you know whatever they they're really good at picking out who they think they can manipulate and then they go to work with them and uh, so it's a it's a really evil thing and that I get it. that's part of the reason why nobody really wants to hear about it. So I yeah, one of the things she said was that. It's, it's, they're getting boys too. And, uh, absolutely, absolutely. Wait, the way that she explained it was like, it's through video games. And what 
they'll do is pose as really pretty girls and will send the boys, yeah. you know, nude pictures uh, of who they think is talking to them. And then they'll say, hey, I showed you mine. Why you, you know, send pictures exactly. of you. And then the boys will send nude pictures and then they'll use that to blackmail them into doing things. Right. And that's, that's dead on. That's exactly what happened. Um, I mean, we had an FBI agent tell us at a presentation that we did that um, he said, if your child, if your child is on social media, there's a hundred percent chance that a predator has reached out to your, your child, not a 90% chance, hundred percent chance. And he says, it doesn't mean that they responded. It doesn't mean that, you know, the child was in danger at that time, but just the thought of some 55 year old man sitting in adult diapers with three computer screens, trying to contact as many kids as he can. It's creepy. I mean, it's really creepy. And, and yet social media and gaming, um, all of that, that is done, you know, online, uh, you know, not in a, in a private, private setting. Um, it just opens kids up to all of that. One of the, one of the things in our training that we really, really recommend is that um, parents, parents want to trust their children. And by all means, they should try to trust their children. Um, but we've done a lot of presentations where, where afterwards a, uh, a parent will come up to us and say, you know, I just, I, I hear what you say about knowing my kids' passwords and stuff, but I just, well, I don't want Johnny to think I don't trust him. And, and so she, she won't even ask for his password. And, and, you know, the response is tell him that you love him enough to where you, you trust, you trust him and want to walk with him on this. And, um, but I mean, you're paying for the phone, you're paying for the video games, you're paying for everything. So you have the right to know what's going on. But, um, but anyway, there, um, yeah, there's, there's just a lot of ways to think but a lot of what you just described. We had a case where that happened, um, where a, what was a pretty 13 year old girl reached out to a young boy here in the area and, um, and they hit it off and, you know, this was all on, I think it started out as a gaming situation, but, um, they hit it off and they were going back and forth. The next thing she's sending all naked shots of her and he says for him to send stuff back. And so he does. And. They go back and forth, and um, and then she talked him into bringing one of his friends in on on the whole thing, and so that it, you know, it, it just it it escalated, and she was calling the shots, and they were doing some pretty embarrassing stuff, and um, and but it it got it got progressively worse and progressively worse, and finally he realized that he was in trouble, and um. And so he refused. And when he refused, she um, she threatened to put all of the pictures he'd send her up, up on social media. And um, and so that was the point where he finally went to his mom. And this girl turned out to be a 53-year-old man that was just playing him the whole time. And um, he did put, he made like a sex video out of out of all the pictures. And he did put it on, uh, I think it was on Twitter, um, but he, he put it up. And then finally, when he told his mother, and, and the reason we know the details that we know is she called us and asked us, you know, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> because, you know, obviously he's been, he's been manipulated. 
And so, um, so anyway, we we sent we con or we connected her with an attorney that we do work with here in the area that it has a focus on um, on uh, human trafficking. And so she sent an official letter to Twitter saying, "Take it down. This is a minor." They said it doesn't it doesn't uh, it, it doesn't follow the standards for us to take it down. And so they left it up. And um, it took it took a real battle to get them to finally take it down, and so now there's a lawsuit going on because of the number of views. There was like hundreds of thousands of views even after they had been told he was a minor, and um, I mean he was he was at a point where he was close to suicide. He didn't he was just didn't know what to do, and um, that I mean you know now he's he's you know he's in high school and uh, and doing well but but he should have never had to go through what he was going through and it, it's just a mind manipulation game and kids are there and they you know they want to be independent and they want to make their own decisions and they want to leave mom and dad out of that process but they're not ready <laughs> and right. especially when it's an adult that's manipulated so we had it we had another and i, I i'm just going on and on here but no uh, please go no, we had another situation where we did a training. Um, it was actually a Zoom training. It was during the end of COVID. And um, did a training, and we just talked about it, that if you see something that kind of just makes a hair on the back of your neck stand up or, you know, to call the 800 number and just get advice on what to do, tell them what you see. And if you call that 800 number, they're, um, they're required to send local officials to investigate what's going on. And um, and so that's huge progress that's been made through the legislature in the time, in the last 10 years or so. Um, but uh, this one lady that was in that training session, she, um, she had her kids and they were, I think they were at Universal Studios is where it was. But, um, but anyway, they were there and they were waiting in line to get something to eat. And they said there was this guy with with like three young teenage girls that were all really close to the same age, but he but they said that the interaction with him it just wasn't it wasn't like a father daughter, it just seemed very unconnected, and um, and she remembered what we had taught her, and so she called the eight 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 number and and they advised her to contact somebody right there at Universal Studios because they said. If we call the Orlando police, their response time, these people will be gone before they get to respond. And and they said that they have huge security at, at Universal. And sure enough, she contacted a manager, they called him, and it was a trafficking situation, and she saved those little girls. And, uh, and so, you know, th th that's a big part of why we invest as much time and resources into just training as what we do is the more eyes and ears we can get out there to, to see what's going on, the better chance we have to, to nip it in the butt. Um, that speaker that I mentioned earlier, she was so angry at one point when she was telling, us, uh, telling us about how parents are trying to respect their kids by not looking in their social media. She was so angry. Yep. And she goes, she was like, if you only knew what they're doing to your kids, if you only knew what is happening, you know, it, it there. She was just so angry, feeling that they were living this false reality, and, and they're not protecting their kids. She goes, yeah. "You owe it to your kids to look in their social media to know their passwords, 
that's how you protect them. Yep. I mean, I, I, I honestly feel like, and this is kind of a stretch, but a parent that isn't willing to, to dig deep enough to, to know what's happening online, that's almost a form of abuse because it's, yes. it, it's not a whole lot different than just sending them out on the street and saying, have a good time, you know, uh, come home for dinner. <laughs> and so, you know, there's, there's laws in place to, to force parents or, you know, intended at least to force parents to take care of their kids. But on the internet, there's nothing there. And, uh, so yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's an open chain for people to get into other people's houses and, um, and then, and then they're going in through the kids. And so it's, it's, it's a tough thing. How often do you do training? And, um, is it always through Zoom? No, uh, I mean, we try to do it face to face. It's, it's more effective when it's face to face. And, and so whenever we can, we're like, we do, we do probably four to six training sessions a month. And, um, some of them are in the central Florida area. Uh, you know, we're doing one next, oh, in October, we're doing a week training session in, uh, Vacaville, California. Um, so we, wherever we can, we can get a large enough audience to where it makes sense financially as well as, as, you know, as the travel time and whatever is required, um, we'll go pretty much wherever we need to go. Um, and so, but, but the other thing is we're, um, when school's in session, we do about three or four trainings a week in the, in the school district. Uh, we have three, three totally separate trainings. One is for children, one is for administrators and teachers, and the other is for parents. And so for each school and each age group, we try to, we try to kind of um, tailor the discussion to whatever, whatever the audience is at the time. Um, Cause the schools are a big hit. I mean, that's a, it's, it's a, it's a picking ground. And yeah, uh, I mean, now one of the thing, one of their tricks is to, like I said, they'll groom this one girl or a poor boy and they'll get them to the point where they're active. And then they'll, they'll go to them and they'll say, you know, if you don't want to be this anymore, you just bring me three other girls or three other guys, whatever. And, uh, and then they become the manager over them and they don't have to do the deed anymore, but they, uh, but their friends do. And so they, it basically recruiters right inside the school that they go to. Hey, I hope you like the show. If you got something from it and want to bless me back, leave a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts and also subscribe to my channel. If you want to connect with me on social media, my Instagram is at kingdom.moves. I pray that God gives you hope and that you step into everything he's got planned for you. Peace. Peace.